And welcome to the second Pacific Division podcast. We're known as the Pacific Post-Ups. Uh, my name's Lewis, as you're well aware, and I'm joined uh, for the first time by Nick Boylan. How's it going, Nick? Thanks for having me, Lewis. Uh, looking forward to uh, discussing some excellent and not-so-excellent Pacific Division basketball. Yes, it certainly uh, has been an uh, inconsistent week for those teams in the Pacific Division. Uh, shall we uh, take a dip, as we say here, and uh, give a quick summary of uh, how the teams are going this week? Let's do it, mate. No worries. So I'm going to start off with the uh, LA Clippers, who have all in all had a pretty good week when you consider it. Uh, I mean, there was a, obviously that loss to Brooklyn and the loss to Utah, um, but they managed to keep uh, holding fort, I guess, compared to their crosstown rivals. What have you uh, made of the Clippers week? Well, I think I think probably the the big thing is that they sort of got through some touch and go periods. Obviously, having injury problems with particularly their the, their main uh, guys who they need in the starting five, really sort of coming in and out of the lineup. They've they've tread water pretty okay. Um, they've got the wins that they need to against the likes of Chicago and Cleveland. Got a close one against Miami. Um, they did get trounced by the Jazz initially, but uh, particularly by Rudy Gobert had a big old twenty twenty night. Um, but they went back, beat the Jazz by four. Um, it was Utah's first loss in what seems like months. And uh, they looked a lot better. Um, that that lo- that loss against Brooklyn, you said, um, obviously was a tough one. Um, they, they The Clippers came back into it pretty hard. Um, but PG on a minutes restriction, it's always a really tough... It's a, it's a very easy one for us NBA fans sitting on the sideline to say, oh, why can't he play like an extra few minutes if you're you know, within striking distance of a... You know, a pretty important win, um, but um, you know that's uh, that's why the, they pay the coaches, and that's why uh, we do the podcast for free. So, um, I, I think the Clippers are looking all right. They bounced back with a win against the Wizards, who had won five in a row. And I think the, probably the thing um, I liked about that the most, and I'll, uh, probably the discussion point, is that the fact that they they got their thirty points each from Kawhi and PG. That's fine. But they did get 17 from Reggie Jackson. Evita Zubats had 12. Marcus Morris had 11. Terrence Mann had 12. And Luke Kennard's come back to to play 11 minutes and at least get some legs back for the Clippers. So uh, it's really when PG and Kawhi go off, I think when we know they're going to have good games and Paul George in the playoffs, less certain. But um, you know what you're going to get out of those guys. Probably the, the thing that's always going to be the question mark is that who's going to be that sort of third guy to go and, you know, score between 15 and 22 points on a nightly basis. Yeah, and uh, just to touch on a couple of the points you just made there, um, it, it's, you know, it is frustrating from the perspective, if you look at it through the Clippers lenses, that, uh, that Paul George is on that minutes restriction. But at the same time, um, the media will consistently and have been consistently criticising LeBron for playing heavy minutes right now. So you kind of can't have your cake and eat it too as far as we can't criticise the Clippers for bringing Paul George back slowly and monitoring his minutes during the regular season, but then also turn around and, you know, maybe make point of the fact that LeBron's been playing an excess of minutes uh, on that Lakers team. So I I don't blame the Clippers for doing what they're doing. Um, At the end of the day, we know they can rack up regular season wins. That's not an issue for them. It's about proving it in the postseason. So if a minutes restriction is what the medical staff feel is appropriate, then I think that's the best way to go about it, particularly considering Paul George is not, been the healthiest over the last you know couple of years. Uh, it's probably important to ease him back in. I think you make a really good point there about the depth. Um, you know, obviously Reggie Jackson actually shot the ball pretty well for the Clippers last year in the 
the postseason. But I think Canard coming back is uh, is quite important, considering I I think we've seen it time and time again. They don't want to be able to they don't want to have to rely on Lou Williams deep into a playoff run because he will get exposed on the defensive end of the ball. Um, the amount of switching that the Clippers want to play, you know, it's too easy for him to get switched onto a Luka Doncic or LeBron, and it's all over at that point for him. So I think Canard, who isn't, you know, he's not the greatest defender, but he's a bit, bit more stout in his resistance than what Lou Williams is. If he can stay healthy, um, you know, just being able to offer them a secondary ball handler or, or even a tertiary ball handler, um, and, uh, you know, someone that can obviously make a catch-and-shoot three as well. Uh, it's really important to that team. 100%. And I think as well on talking about Sweet Lou, is that you could you could sort of – you give um, – you're happy to sort of give, I, don't know, I guess, possessions where, you know, he's obviously got deficiencies on that end because, you know, he's bringing it on the offensive end. But the fact of the matter is that he hasn't really this year, that he's – you know, his points per game average is down from 18.2 to 12.6 this year. Um, and his field goal attempts have gone down to fourteen from fourteen point four to ten point five, and I understand that they're having more players, and you know, Father Time is catching up with Lou. Um, you know, he's, he's thirty four years old, so it, it'd be really interesting to see as the season goes on with Ty Lou exactly how much Lou's going to play. Uh, um, they're going to give him nights off potentially, you know, to sort of gear up for the playoffs. Is it how much? Like how many minutes is he going to play in the in the postseason rotation? I mean, he is one of the best uh, reserve scorers that we've seen in the NBA at least in the last probably ten to fifteen years. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you know, Father Time catches us all, so it'll be really interesting to see how he factors into the the Clippers' plans for a championship. Yeah, I mean, looking at some play type data um, last year, the most common um, yeah bench play type they ran was, as you'd expect, it was a Lou Will, Montrezl Harrell pick and roll. If you actually drill into it, most of the side is a, well, they've been playing PG with the second unit, um, and he's been running a lot with uh, Avic and Zubac, which is probably something that is more sustainable in the playoffs. And like you said, I mean, uh, you know, Lou's certainly not getting any younger. Um, and I think it's not the worst thing for the Clippers to start to establish some options outside of him. Um, and what you get from him is what you get from him, but not relying on him too much uh, is probably important for them moving forward, given his age and given some of his uh, deficiencies if his offensive game is to drop off. Uh, I think it might be time to go across the uh, across the hall at uh, Staples Centre because this might be a, a fairly lengthy conversation. It has not been a good week uh, to be a Lakers fan, has it, Nick? No, it, it really hasn't. I think... You know, the big question was, obviously, with AD going out in that Nuggets game, uh, they're looking at another four weeks without him, with that calf strain and aggravating his uh, Achilles tendinosis in his right leg. The question was, like, can the Lakers stay afloat? And the answer so far has been no. Um, they've, they've, they've snuck by a couple of teams, like the T-Wolves, um, when LeBron's gone off for 30, but... You know, that really big sort of NBA Twitter slash national um, televised game against Brooklyn. They lost by 11. And I think that the scoreboard probably um, flatters them a little bit. Um, I didn't think they really looked in that game in various... I think Brooklyn were in control pretty much the, the whole night. 
LeBron's still getting his numbers, but then you're still getting, you know, against Miami in the really, you know, sort of tough game in their first meet since the finals. They lose a close one. And then we're starting to see fatigue set in um, as a team. But I think particularly for LeBron, I mean, that's, I mean, the big storyline out of the last few games without Davis is the amount of minutes that he's playing, um, you know, as the media and the commentators continue to remind us that he, it is his 18th year every time he takes a step on the basketball court. Um, the amount of minutes he's having to play is getting pretty crazy. I mean, that, we saw that in that overtime loss against Washington, where they went down 127 to 124. LeBron played 43 minutes that night. Um, he was one rebound off at 30-point triple-double, but it's just you could see – just that they were running through mud. I watched that game. I was doing the Twitter for OTG that night and the Lakers as a whole looked like they were run, running through mud and their offensive, I guess, uh, identity is something that I'm still trying to work out sometimes. I think the defense is still pretty good um, with the players that they've got, but the offense is something that can be really, really dicey. They're just heaving up threes. Um, Trez had a really good game off the bench against the Wizards um, but didn't play the last chunk of the fourth quarter and none of overtime. That was a really weird decision from Frank Vogel. Um, and then obviously the Lakers ran into the Utah Jazz buzzsaw um, just last night. So um, where they didn't look in that game really probably from three minutes into the first quarter um, where, you know, the LA went eight of 33 from deep uh, while the Jazz went 22 of 48. Like that's, that's massive, but um it's going to be really interesting to see what LeBron's load management, um, that, that that dreaded phrase, looks like going forward. Because even if he is playing major minutes, I'm not sure if he can carry this team. Yeah, there's there's a couple of interesting things there. I, I think I'll I'm willing to look over the loss to Utah tonight because, like you said, they've just been a buzzsaw and they've been beating fully fit contenders um, and making them look silly. So I'm, I'm happy to, to a certain extent, give them a pass for that. I, I think the points you make about LeBron's minutes are, you know, more than a real concern. Um, I, I, I don't know whether you noticed this, but obviously he had a chance to put the game away late against the Wizards and front-rimmed, considerably front-rimmed, a free throw, which is a classic sign of someone that's just fatigued. Hmm. Uh, his three-point shooting in the last month has plummeted. He's shooting under 20% in the last month when he started off the year scorching hot. And if you kind of watch the way he's playing, he's settling for a lot more threes. He just looks exhausted. And, and to be honest with you, I don't blame him. Um, players, you know, 10 years younger than him would be exhausted on this kind of workload. What what I guess concerns me is I actually think these systemic issues have been coming for a while. I think it's only just popped up now in the loss column. Um, but when you really think about the last time they played a good game of basketball, I mean, they lost to the Wizards, who, yes, have improved slightly, but, you know, you'd think they'd be able to beat them. They lost to the Heat and the Nets. I don't really take beating the Timberwolves as serious at this point. Um, you know, they lost to Denver. Memphis, they might have won that game, but they were, I'm sure you remember, they were down something like 20-2 to two mm. early in the first. They had to, uh, you know, scratch and claw to get back into it. Two OT games against the Thunder a double OT game against the Pistons. I mean, the last good game of basketball they played, we're talking early February now at this point, which is the win over Denver. Um, I think there are some serious signs of concern here, but at the same time, I, I just don't know how much to read into it because there were some, you know, there were some signs last year that maybe the offense wasn't as good in the half court and then they got to the playoffs and it's like, yeah, that's right. You have 
LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and you can just run that two-man game, surround it with some shooters and smart players, and that gets it done. I, I, I'm, I, you know, quite frankly, I'm very concerned about it. Um, they don't want to slip too far in the standings, uh, and you know, be staring down a scenario where they've got to go through Utah and the Clippers just to get out of the West. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to to see how it shakes out because yeah, the, the reality is that they could slip pretty far back um, sort of going forward and get down and yeah, as you said, get some pretty nasty matchups that, you know, you, you it almost back. I mean, it's, it's hard to get to bet against LeBron, particularly um, if he gets Davis back at full fitness, you'd imagine hopefully, like, you know, for, for the playoffs and hopefully that's not something else that, you know, flares up again, but yeah, it, the one positive I can see out of this, I guess, slate of games coming up is that it is going to give someone else a chance to, I guess, boost their boost their form just going into the back end of the year. Um, uh, whether that's someone like Kyle Kuzma, um, KCP has been really good um, the last few games and has really, like, since the postseason um but even going into last postseason, we, we everyone joked about how KCP's role was. You know, how is this guy starting on, on this team with LeBron? You know, some people were even questioning if he's an NBA player. But his versatility, you know, he's a, he's a pretty damn good defender. Um, his three balls been clicking. He is a team first guy who doesn't do too many boneheaded things. Um, he's someone who I could see at least boost his stock a little bit and start to kick some feet. Um, but yeah, there are there are a lot of questions on this roster. Um, I think particularly today um, against Utah, but I've you know quite a few times that Marcus Sol has looked very old, and because he is an older player, but he has looked um, particularly. Oh no, I, it, he's going to be a really interesting player to see how much he plays. Um, versus someone like Montrez Harrell, who Frank Vogel didn't go to um, late in that Wizards game. Um, you know, if you're a Lakers fan, you wouldn't be super confident rolling out Gasol against someone like Brooklyn, where, or even like you know Golden State or any of these sort of Phoenix teams who will switch things around to really attack someone like Gasol, whose lateral movement is not what it used to be um, when he was a member of the Grizzlies. Yeah, I, I think what will end up happening when they get to the postseason is, quite frankly, I think it will end like, I mean, to a lesser extent, the Celtics exposed Gasol last year um, in the Eastern Conference semifinals and they ended up just playing a Barker uh, a lot of the minutes. I think the other thing that the Lakers always have up their sleeve is they can play Anthony Davis at the five. Yep. Um, it's matchup dependent. I think Montrezl Harrell could survive against Brooklyn. Uh, I, I, it's, but obviously, you know, every time Montrezl Harrell sees Nikola Jokic, he pretty much, you know, cracks and sweats into a fit because of what happened last year in the conference finals. And so I think Frank Vogel is just going to have to play horses for courses. Um, I think at this point, Anthony Davis is, uh, you know, we, we know he's okay with playing at the five, particularly in the postseason. He doesn't like it during the regular season. I understand why, but I think that's the card they'll end up going to when it gets to the pointy end of the season. And you're right, KCP's looked good. Um, you know, I think he's been he's grown into the role player that you know LeBron likes to play alongside. Uh, the Afro he's rocking certainly isn't hurting, <laughs> um, and uh, and Kyle Kuzma certainly forming out into a nice role player with a little bit of extra juice if required. 
but yeah, they, they do need to right the ship here. And um, it'll be interesting to see how many minutes LeBron's willing to play if this poor record continues whilst Davis is out. With, with the, the, the Lakers squad, Lewis, do, do you think they need anything else? Um, I mean, one guy we haven't mentioned who is out at the moment is Dennis Schroeder, who's been superb for them on both ends of the floor um, and has be, really been that, you know, incredibly essential uh, secondary playmaker and scorer for the Lakers. But do they look, you know, they're getting another big man? Do, I don't know. It's something that has got bandied about on social media a little bit, but do they look at grabbing someone like Boogie Cousins? Yeah, look, I've seen a couple of times recently on, on social media that the idea was perhaps they waived Quinn Cook mm. in order to free up a spot for another big man and that Vogel in the front office are maybe thinking they are a little bit thin in that department. Um, look, personally for me, it wouldn't be Boogie. Um, I just, I get the feeling that at this point, his, his best value to a team other than his rebounding, but is the fact that he's not the worst floor spacer. They've got that in Gasol. Um, he's just, he's too slow-footed defensively at this point. Uh, I actually prefer them. I, I think they're actually missing, you know, an athletic rim running shot blocking big like they had last year with JaVale and Dwight. Obviously, Montrez can feel the rim running part of that, but he, you know, isn't exactly the largest man at the center position. Um, you know, if they can pick someone up off the scrap heap, obviously, ideally for them, Andre Drummond would get waived and and he could be someone they could pick up. But at the end of the day, the, the lineup of teams waiting to sign Andre Drummond if he gets waived will be large um, and there'll be other contenders that can offer him a pretty competitive role as well. Um, whether they could scrap together the numbers to, you know, trade for someone, maybe trade for McGee again, maybe trade for someone like Nerland's Noel if the Knicks drop out of the playoffs race is, a, you know, just a rim-running, shot-blocking centre, I think would be sufficient rather than trying to reinvent the wheel. What do you think about Cousins going back to the Lakers? I think the, the, the romantic side of it, I mean, would be nice. Um, to see if he can contribute to a ring um, that, you know, unfortunately injury got in the way of him doing that last season. Um, but in terms of a positional fit, I really like McGee as well. Um, as some, I, you know, he, he was during his tenure on the Warriors, one of my favorite players and has shown consistently, you know, since his stint in Golden State that his acceptance of a, very refined, limited but refined role, very similar to how Dwight Howard sort of took on that mantle last season, has been really good. I think he's sort of enjoyed being in Cleveland as a mentor, as a veteran um, for the young team, but I do think he deserves to be on a contender. And Nerlens Noel is a great shout. I think he's a superbly underrated um, big man, obviously someone who was a lottery pick, um, but, you know, again... Clearly defined, limited role. All he has to do is dunk, block shots, and run to the rim. If he's able to do that, you know, for the Knicks, and he's been part of a very good defense under Tom Thibodeau there, um, I think he'd be definitely someone that not only the Lakers would look at, but quite a few other teams as well. Yeah, certainly something to keep an eye on now they have that uh, that spare roster spot after waving Quinn Cook. Shifting, uh, shifting now to a team that's probably been pretty happy with how things are going, all things considered. But another team that's really uh, that's also lost a game to uh, Brooklyn the last period of time is the uh, the Phoenix Suns, who taking out that Brooklyn loss have been on just an absolute tear. Uh, what have you uh, What have you made of their uh, their week in their recent period? Well, I think I think they're just starting to figure it out. Um, there's there was a lot of question marks over 
particularly the backcourt fit with Devin Booker and Chris Paul coming together. We've seen in the last few years these like fantasies, I guess, on paper um, backcourts that look really good. Um, take some time for for players to adjust and and, and get th- and get things used to each other. I mean, we, we we saw that you know it took some time for Harden and Westbrook to to adjust. We saw that it it almost took a whole season for Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell to coexist. Um, Westbrook and Bradley Beal are starting to work it out now a little bit as well. And so was CP3 and Booker. Um, obviously, it was a, a pretty big deal that Booker was not initially named in that all-star um, reserves list, um, although he's become an injury re- replacement for Anthony Davis. Um, you know, his play has really, you know, uh, highlighted a, a really strong week for Phoenix. Um, you know, they, they and they, they, I think that, they've started to balance out what good teams do. They beat teams that they should beat and they're getting, they're grinding out wins against, you know, teams that are around them, if not better than them in the standings. Um, we, we're seeing, you know, we, a strong win over Philly. Um, they got a, uh, a really close win against the Bucks um, after Giannis missed that uh, game winner at the, uh, at the free throw line. And, but yeah, the, the collapse against Brooklyn certainly was a bit of a black mark. On their week, um, you know they were they're up twenty four points. Um, Steve Nash has come back into Phoenix to to haunt um, all the you know the diehard fans, and uh, you know James Harden played a barn burner. You know it's had thirty eight, eleven, and seven. I mean, sometimes sometimes it, 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 there's certain players that are hard to stop when they're going like that, and Harden's certainly one of them. Um, but what could have been a statement win um, for the Suns turned out to be a a bit of a Bit of a notable loss for them, um, but you know, the, what, probably what the good sign was um, after that win, they could, they could have easily gone on a losing streak, dropped drop some games, dropped their heads a little bit, but they bounced back um, with a really dominant performance over New Orleans. Um, they smacked the Grizzlies. They absolutely demolished Portland, winning by thirty-two points. Um, and and Booker showed why he should have been an All Star reserve. Um, he had 34 points on the night, shot 12 of 17 from the floor, two of two from deep and eight of eight from the line. It was a, a crazy efficient performance and only in, in 29 minutes. And Phoenix have shown that they've been able to put on very similar sort of, uh, I guess, like scoring bursts that have really killed games um, when they need to, like a good offensive team should. They got up by the, um, they outscored the Blazers by 20 in the third term. And really that was the game. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'll give them a, a certain, to a certain extent, I'll give them a pass for their loss today to the Hornets. Um, you know, the Hornets are probably a better team than most uh, most teams realise. And at the end of the day, in this kind of season, you're not going to, Utah Jazz except, uh, exempted, you're not going to peel off these massive win streaks. There are a lot of cl- games close together. And at the end of the day, they, you know, it was a competitive game um, and it is what it is. Something that I, I've been monitoring there, I guess, which I find interesting is they've still got Frank Kaminsky in the starting lineup. Now, I know that's obviously been something that uh, has looked really good as far as the lineup data is concerned. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, there are both Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder that are coming off the bench right now that I dare say will probably start when it gets to the postseason. Uh, how much longer do you think we'll see Kaminsky in the starting lineup? And uh, do you think he's more likely to be replaced by Johnson or Crowder in a playoff scenario? I'm I, Like you, Lewis, I'm surprised he has started as many games as he has this season. Um I definitely like Crowder. I think for the postseason experience, um, more of a two-way player. Although his shot can be pretty streaky, and I think Johnson's probably the better, more consistent shooter. Um, 
I, I would start Crowder. Um, he's a team that he's a sorry, he's a player that every playoff team likes to have. Um, you know, he's he's tough. Um, I think particularly um, for a young team going into a playoff run for the first time in a really long time, that you know him and CP3 in that starting lineup, you know, with younger guys like Aiton Booker and Bridges, it, he's going to be crucial. So I definitely think that Jay should be getting the start again soon and and playing through um, to the postseason. Um, but yeah, I. I I'm probably not going to give him as much of a pass against Charlotte, to be honest, because I, I, I mean, you know, Malik Monk occasionally has these games where he just goes nuts and he scored 20 in the second quarter um, against Phoenix, which is nuts. To, to be fair, Malik's actually had a pretty good year. Um, but it is two games within, what, seven or eight days where they've had pretty significant leads and dropped them. So I think that's... While they're going pretty well in the standings. It is a sign of a younger team where they're able to have a, have a large lead, but also, but they need to be able to protect it as well. They've shown that they can blow out teams, you know, like a Memphis, um, like a New Orleans, who are maybe like a little bit lower on the rung of where they're, um, where they're performing at, but teams like a Brooklyn, you know, Charlotte are going pretty well, as you said, and are playing a lot better. than I think a lot of people, um, give them credit for. It's going to be really interesting to see if that becomes a pattern um, against um, other teams is how they can not only build up a lead, but also hold on to it. Yeah. And I think to a certain extent, you obviously brought up um, Malik Monk there. Uh, if you look at the starting lineup, if there's a, if there's a deficient hole, I guess it's that um, Mikhail Bridges, like fantastic defender um, can pretty much guard one through four, as long as it's not a overly powerful four. Uh, really helpful uh, as a help defender as well. Uh, uh, he drew the Hayward assignment in this game, which is probably fair enough. Um, but when you really look at it, I mean, Chris Paul, his age, is not going to be chasing around Malik Monk off of screens. Devin Booker's never been the most passionate defender. Um, and, I mean, DeAndre Ayton positionally is uh, is turning into a pretty reasonable defender uh, and rim protector, but he's certainly not going to be chasing around guards either. Um, and the only reason you would have Frank Kaminsky guard Malik Monk is quite frankly for a laugh. <laughs> I just wonder maybe if they if they don't if they you know need a peskier peskier defender for that kind of scenario just because you don't want that workload going to Chris Paul. Uh, it's not really Devin Booker's cup of tea. Perhaps it might be something that they might look at through a trade or perhaps picking up someone off the buyout market. Definitely think that's a a, a good shout just to to get a very defensive minded wing. Um, to plug off the bench, come in and provide, you know, Bridges with a bit of help. As you said, he's a terrific defender um, and someone who's really blossomed into a fantastic player this year. We saw the signs last year, but he's really starting to turn it on on both ends of the floor. But yeah, as you said, he can't defend everybody. So if they had a look at Miami dropped out of the playoff, like uh, out of the playoff race, do you look at someone trying to get someone like an Iguodala. Um, I try, I'm just trying to think of some more defensive-minded wings or probably gettable for Phoenix. Um, but he's one who sort of comes to mind as, again, another playoff uh, playoff performer, proven playoff performer uh, in the past. Now, obviously, you're not going to get a lot out of him at this stage of his career. But, you know, if you're needing to get maybe 10 to 15 minutes to someone who can play a bit of defense and, 
you know, be a steady hand, then he's probably not the worst idea in the world. Yeah, Iguodala is probably a good shout for a lot of these contending teams if Miami drop out because, you know, he's got there's a team option on that contract. So if, if they don't want him at the end of the season, um, you know, that's a you know an easy kind of situation where you trade for him and you can make your mind up at the end of the year how you feel about him. Um, as far as uh, as far as moving one spot down the standings, but to a team that's also in relatively uh, relatively good position uh, given the situation, you're a Golden State Warriors um, who uh, had a really good win today against the Indiana Pacers. What have you made there of their last week? It's been wildly inconsistent, um, like a few other teams. Uh, there's been some. It's been really some really crazy games to watch. I mean, they, they, you get the wins that they think they should, like against it. They beat um, Cleveland by 21, who are in free fall at the moment. Um, then you get a really awesome comeback against Miami. Um, also, while Steph had a really like terrible shooting night, um, but hit clutch threes when he can. Um, someone who's played really well over the last week um, has been Kent Bazemore, multiple 20-point games. He had, I think at 19 again, um, excuse me, um, against the Knicks um, when they they got a win back um, just by eight points. But they've lost games that have been, you know, pretty gettable. Um, they, they missed their, their – they just didn't have any bigs to roll with guys like uh, Nikola Vucevic. Um, when they played Orlando, they blew the game after a really good third quarter and they lost by four. Um, and then that – insane game against Charlotte that was just all over the place. Obviously, some questionable referee calls, at least from my standpoint, uh, trying to be fairly uh, unbiased, but sometimes it's a little bit tricky when calls are made that badly. Um, and then, obviously, the the double tech that ejected Draymond put Charlotte in a position to win that game, and Scary Terry took full advantage and drilled the game winner. Um but yeah, they, 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 they've come back from those. They um, Steph went off at the Garden for 37 points. And as you said, one of the more impressive wins, um, honestly, of the season for the Warriors today against the Pacers. Um, did, did, how did you see that game, Lewis? Yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was quite impressive um, and a bit of a statement game after, you know, like we said, what was a, a fairly embarrassing loss to Charlotte. They bounced back, took care of business against the Knicks, which isn't as straightforward as it used to be. Um, and I thought they played really well against the Pacers. I think what it shows is, uh, you know, what they've been able to show a little bit more of the, you know, this last period of time is that they don't need Steph to always go off from the three-point line. Um, like you said, Baysmore starting to come into his own. Kelly Oubre's really started to show a bit more juice over the last month. Um, and Andrew Wiggins has been a fairly consistent performer. I, what I uh, what I'm interested to see with this team, I guess, is. When it gets to the postseason and teams do everything they can to get the ball out of Steph's hands, and I know the Warriors are very good at finding a way to get it back into his hand, uh, who's going to be that second scoring option when push comes to shove? Is it going to be Wiggins? Is it going to be Oubre? Um, because, you know, it's obviously not where Draymond's at at this point in time. And we know that the way that teams will scheme in the postseason uh, for what is a predominantly a one-man uh, scoring load will be a little bit different to what they're seeing in the regular season. Yeah, 100%. It's it's going to be really interesting to see how players like, assuming, assuming they get into the playoffs, how players like Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins handle that moment. Um, you know, players who haven't had a wealth of playoff experience, um, you know, if they're going to get the wide open shots or if, you know, you're going to get, 
you know, shooters like Damian Lee going, you're going to get small ball minutes from someone who I think has actually been really, who had a bit of a lean patch for sort of a week and a half or two. Um, Eric Pascal has been really good the last few games playing as that sort of small ball center, close the game against Indiana today um, or a small ball power forward really with Draymond out there. But, you know, you're getting really good scoring from him, efficient scoring as well. Doesn't take a lot of shots, but, you know, take you knows where his limitations are. He's not the, the greatest shooter in the world, but, you know, when you, you chuck him out there, you know, his mobility and sheer girth as a dude, he is built like a, you know, a brick shithouse. Um, he, he moves guys around pretty easily. He had that massive hammer dunk late um, in the fourth quarter, um, which got me out of my chair. Um, but <laughs> yeah, he, he's going to be a really important player for them uh, going forward. But yeah, it, it, and then probably the other player as well, who I'm very intrigued to see how he factors into a, a postseason run. Someone who just came back um, against New York, found out today, but um, obviously the rookie James Wiseman, He's, it's going to be really interesting to see how he factors in to late game situations continually going forward as the Warriors will trim their rotation um, for the postseason. I mean, had 11 and five, but fouled out within 18 minutes. Um, how, how do you see Wiseman sort of fitting into uh, the, the late game, but also the late season stuff for, for the Warriors? Do you think he plays much at all? I mean, ideally, yes, if he's ready. But, you know, my heart's telling me he's probably not ready for consistent postseason minutes. Um, you know, given some of the teams they might have to go through in the West, it would be really handy to have, you know, a shot blocker with size. Obviously, Draymond brings a lot on the defensive side of the floor. Um, but, you know, is he going to be able to help guard Jokic or, you know, Anthony Davis flying down the lane? That's probably another question. Um, so that, you know, it, I don't, transparently, I don't see them as a top tier contender. But for them to be a top-tier contender, they would probably need Wiseman to be able to take on some defensive assignments as well as provide a bit of athletic pop on the offensive end. I just think he's probably one year away. And to a certain extent, from a contending perspective, I think this Warriors roster is as well, uh, with Clay back, hopefully healthy next year. What I think they have proven this year is they do have enough juice to be a fun, competitive team Mm. um, and a contender again if Clay can come back and be... 90 plus percent of himself, uh, which I'm optimistic he can given his play style. It, it, the other, I, I, I'm definitely a lot more optimistic about next season than probably this season as a Warriors fan, but it, it is going to be interesting to see sort of how they view the upcoming deadline, um, sort of sitting in the pack. If they got, you know, a couple of those close wins, they'd be sort of sitting at a, at a fifth seed at the moment. It's really just, just a, a, a little bit behind Phoenix, but, um, yeah, I mean, there was a rumor today, um, an article that I, I saw got posted that that um, Dallas were, I think, I have to make sure that I'm saying this right, that Dallas were talking to Golden State and not the other way around about a potential, at least gauging their interest in Kristaps Porzingis. Um, that, that, that's a terrible fit. Um, I don't, I, 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 that's something I couldn't really see going well. Um, I, he's a player who I... I don't know, I guess it, under the current circumstances of how Golden State like to play, he's not the type of player who I could see setting the world alight at the chase center. Kristaps Porzingis is a warrior. What do you reckon, Lewis? See, I think the Kristaps we were potentially looking at, you know, two years ago or even the guy that showed flashes last year, I, li- I would have liked that idea. Uh, my biggest issue with it is at this point, 
he's not a good defensive player. I think people are still kind of leaning on that memory of Porzingis, um, you know, being a really elite shot blocker, even if he had other deficiencies. Obviously, you can't pull him out too far on the floor and he's probably not going to contain, a, you know, an Embiid type. But the Kristaps that was an elite shot blocker is not the Kristaps we're seeing at the moment. And for that reason, I, I hate it for the Warriors. Um, you know, had he been, had he looked fully athletic and like he could be a, a, an athletic shot blocker to play alongside Draymond uh, and space the floor, that, that Kristaps would have been great. But the one we're seeing at the moment, I just don't see the fit. I think he'd be a defensive liability. Mm. Um, and, and you know, yes, I understand that he could space the floor um, for Steph. But, you know, at, at this point, if that's the kind of lineup they want to look for, they could go see what OKC wants for, you know, Mike Muscala for 15 minutes off the bench in the playoffs. I, I don't think that there's any value in there, uh, in them trading for Kristaps. And, I mean, at this point, what what's the point for Dallas? Because, you know, if I'm Golden State, I'm not giving up considerable assets um, and Dallas may as well take a punt on Chris Stapp's returning back to his highest upside. Yeah. If I'm Golden State and Dallas are trying to gauge on a deal for a big man, I'd be rather asking for someone like Maxi Kleber, but I, I, I nah, Paul Zingas in a Warriors uniform, as you said, would get just absolutely targeted as to all hell on the defensive end. Draymond would break his voice box yelling at him to make like into rotate on coverages and that sort of thing. So it just, no, nah, I, I don't see the fit at all. I think if, if Golden State are getting that call, they're laughing and dropping the phone. So um, just, just another one while we're on the Warriors, something that will impact them uh, potentially or, or definitely sort of how they head into next season is that Minnesota, uh, since um, we recorded our last episode is that, um, Minnesota obviously fired their coach uh, Ryan Saunders and have hired qu- very quickly, um, which is in a sort of a very unusual circumstance, um, particularly in the timing of it. Um, they've hired Chris Finch, um, who was um, most recently or this season as an assistant coach of the Raptors, but has also spent time on the benches of the Rockets and the Nuggets. Um, obviously, the T Wolves have been terrible. Um, you know, Ed, Anthony Edwards has shown flashes, obviously one of the, well, at least one of the greatest dunks that I've ever seen um, and some truly iconic uh, post-game interview quotes, but he's still sort of working <laughs> into things um, as a offensive dynamo of that team. Obviously, Carl um, Anthony Towns has had um, a myriad of um myriad of complications impact his season. Um, we really wish him, you know, all the best as someone, you know, that I think everybody in the league really likes and his heart goes out to for things that he's gone through. Um, and also just, yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how Chris Finch impacts this team because for the Warriors, you know, this is a top three protector pick um, in the draft. Will Chris Finch give the T-Wolves a shot in the arm to go to not I say rocket up the standings in quotation marks, but you know boost their win total by a little bit, and then puts them out of you know put puts them out of that range at least of potentially getting a top three pick. So for the Warriors, this is a really interesting signing, and all, all Warriors fans will be keeping a close eye on what's happening in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I, I actually watched a little bit of the, their game against Chicago today. Um, that went to OT. And to be honest with you, if Carl Anthony Towns hadn't fouled out, I would have given them every chance of winning that game. Um, they just had no identity after he fouled out. And, you know, 
you're not you're not going to compete in overtime when you're running, you know, Ricky Rubio, Nas Reed, pick and roll as your best offensive option. But I actually thought they looked more competent today. It could just be one game. It could be a one-game sample size. Um, but it would be certainly uh, interesting to monitor. A lot of what we're hearing was that Ryan Saunders, good bloke, not a good coach. Um, and that seemed to reflect in the results. I'm just curious, as a Warriors fan, um, I, I, would you be more interested in them perhaps improving slightly and let's say you guys ending up with a fifth or the sixth pick in this draft, or would you prefer to see Minnesota bottom out, have another lottery pick, and have you guys have that unprotected next year? Mm. I mean, always the higher draft pick sounds a little bit more tantalizing, but considering I, I'd be okay with them going up and if the Golden State snagged I don't know, pick five to seven. There's a pretty good like five or six players in this draft who Golden State would be quite interested in. You know, I I think, you know, obviously the guys like Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley are probably going to go one and two. Um, not sure which order, depending who's picking. But, but really from then onwards, you're getting some guys who'd be really interesting as role players on this Golden State team, whether you're looking at someone like a Jalen Green, Jalen Johnson, Jalen Suggs, all the Jalens, um, Jonathan, Jonathan <laughs> Kaminga as well um, would be another one who I'd be intrigued in as a Golden State fan. I'd be fine with that just because Steph and Clay aren't getting any younger, neither is Draymond. Um, there's, there's quite a few things that you'd need to worry about. And I, I know that, you know, Joe Lacob um, and Bob Myers are certainly looking down the line and they're always, you know, a very forward-thinking front office, but they're also a very now-thinking front office. So I think they'd be certainly much more interested in snagging a high-performing um, rookie who could come into their system next year. Rejoin, Clay comes back as well. They're able to potentially rebuild their bench a little bit, give it a bit of retooling, get Marquise Chris back, who's I think has been sorely missed this year, and be ready to go. I mean, if if it was a number one pick and Minnesota are terrible again the next year, I mean, great. But in the interest of maximizing um, the the play of you know your stars who are who are aging, I think that they'd certainly be intrigued on taking that pick uh, for this upcoming draft. Yep, I, I think you've certainly got a good point there. So it will be very, very interesting to see that pan out. Um, and we'll have to keep an eye on this podcast, on the Timberwolves record, because that is going to become increasingly important as we get through the season, approaching the deadline. Um, I'm sure teams will be calling Golden State and asking on the price of that pick mm-hmm. as well. So that will certainly uh, certainly be something to keep an eye on. Moving to the, uh, the bottom place team in the division, uh, the Sacramento Kings, who are in freefall. Um, they... Uh, lost to Sean Holmes and Harris Barnes for a while, and they were dropping games. But at the end of the day, I think we all kind of gave them a little bit of credit uh, as far as, you know, they were missing key veterans. Those two are now back. Uh, and since then, they've lost games to Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Now you can say, well, they'll be fine again once they get to teams more on their playing field. Uh, but at the end of the day, if they don't turn this around soon, the playoff or even the play-in game might be out of sight for them. What do you make of what's been going on in Sacramento? Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to have um, a worse week than they did. Um, the, the injury problems are just so difficult for I think any team, um, but for particularly for a team for a team for a team like Sacramento who are trying to take the next step 
to be a consistent or just make the playoffs first off, but be a consistent playoff team, obviously with some younger, really talented players. Great year. Um, you know, if it was a, if, if Sacramento had won more games, I he could have been in discussion, I think, for an all-star reserve spot. That doesn't sound crazy at all. Um, Harrison Barnes being out of the lineup, I think, was a really big one for them as a stabilizing presence um, on the offensive end. You know, Barnes hasn't obviously, I wouldn't say he's exactly taken off. And I think you, you sort of know what you're going to get from him at the moment. But, you know, his playmaking's got better um, over the years. Um, you know, you can hit the three ball, you can get inside, um, you know, hit that mid-range jumper. He's He's got enough tricks on the offensive end um, that are really important for this Kings team. Um and particularly, and then also on the other end of the, um, of the front court, with a guy like Rashawn Holmes being out, is that you know again, pretty limited as like a rim rim running, um, shot blocking big who's got a pretty damn good floater as well, um, and really not like nice soft touch there. But again, stabilizing presence, someone who's a little bit older, and when they're, they're missing guys like that out there, when you're constantly getting guys in and out of the lineup, it's impossible to get any rhythm and particularly for a team that's, again, looking to take this next step. But, I mean, there has been, has been a couple of positives. I mean, we, we, everyone knows how fantastic um, Tyrese Halliburton's been, again, uh, really through the year, but just continues to keep showing it, um, particularly with their injuries out. He's, the minutes are bumping up. Um, you know, he probably should be starting. Um soon depending on what really happens with buddy healed and you know how long he's going to hang around um sort of past the deadline depending on where the kings are at but you know halliburton's had you know these really awesome games we said you know 23 um 23 points eight assists and five boards uh, against milwaukee where they didn't look terrible um and then they were shorthanded but competitive against brooklyn they lost that one by nine fox excellent again with 27 and eight um, and then Halliburton played a season-high 39 minutes and had 23 points, nine assists, and five boards. You know, it, it, there's certainly starting to be some positives to look at for Sacramento. I just don't know if those positives are going to lead to a playoff uh, a playoff appearance for them this year. Yeah, just a couple of points on the Kings, and you, you raised some of them. Um, one, if they drop, I think, you know, a substantial amount of games coming into and just after the All-Star break, uh, don't be surprised if they turn into sellers at the deadline. Um, Sean Holmes, I think, is a pending free agent. He'd be a team that a lot of teams would be happy to have on that contract. Um, if they are forced to sell, I think they really want to contend and will not want to have to sell, but it's very possible. Um, and Harrison Barnes is a name that I've heard floated around in um, trade talks as well. And, uh, you know, as you just pointed out, he's become a better player as his career's gotten on and would be a really sturdy veteran uh, for a contending team. One uh, one question I've got for you on the Kings, and you kind of alluded to it there before, Tyrese Halliburton. I'm going to ask you to make a prediction, Nick. Uh, at what point is he going to enter the starting lineup? Because once he enters it, I don't think he's coming out. It really depends on what's going on with Heald, but I think it's going to get to a stage where, it, if, as you said, if Sacramento drop games heading into and on the other side of the all-star break and the postseason continues to look, um, you know, with <laughs> very out of reach, he's got to start for the rest of the year. I mean, I, I would have been starting him yesterday, um, but 
he ne- he needs to be playing. Like, he didn't start um, in this game against Brooklyn and still ended up playing 39 minutes. So like they clearly see his value. Um, I, I know there's some logic about you know players coming off the bench and in and versus starting and you know the, like whether it's a mindset thing. I'm not sure, but I mean he he's got to start in their next game surely. I, I, I just think that he's a winning player um, and Sacramento Kings and winning player aren't phrases that have gone together too often <laughs> over the last you know, 10, 15 years. Um, and I think keeping Buddy Hill happy really doesn't become important for too much longer. You know, maybe if they think they can sneak him in the playoff race, they might want to keep the team chemistry good. But like you said, the moment if, or the moment they drop out of that playoff race, it's time to look, you know, uh, look an eye to the future and, uh, maybe move him into that starting lineup. Um, I think that's uh, about it for our, uh, our wrap around the division. Uh, do you have any, uh, we, we are going to pick out division all-stars on theme at the moment. Do you have any other points you'd like to touch on before we get to that? No, I think we're good, Lou. Um, let's, um, let's crack on with these all-stars. Uh, actually, just before um, we go with our own all-star picks for the Pacific division, I mean, how, are, we, are you happy with the all-star reserves as we got them? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's just that uh, that we've had the Booker got his spot. I think he was a bit of a snub. Um, I certainly know that there's been uh, plenty of grumblings around uh, us here at the OGG network about him being a snub. <laughs> um, and uh, I think now it, it's somewhat right. I, I'm fairly comfortable with who they named. I feel sorry for Mike Conley, um, but I think Booker was the right choice. What about you? Yeah. Uh, sh- Phoenix man, the, I think we're the only Phoenix fan I really know. Um, he was irate that um, on that initial uh, reserves list, but Khalil, justice has been done. Devin is in there. It's fine. Um, we, I was pretty happy with that. I mean, I would have loved to see Mike Conley get in there. Is almost like a, I mean, he's played fantastically this year. I, it's definitely, it's, he's definitely a player where. Particular most years, but particularly this year, box like box stats don't really tell the full story of how. But I just thought, like, I, I just don't think he's going to sneak in there. Particularly when you they already had to get, you know, um, I think Mitchell was going to get in over him. Um, I thought Gobert was going to get in over him. I would Jazz players get in in the reserves, particularly considering how. Uh, emblematic that would be of their success this year coming as a team rather than as one player. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I was a little bit dicey about that one. Probably the the, the one that I di- I wasn't a huge fan of was probably I'm I'm a big fan of Nikola Vucevic, but I would have probably gone with Sabonis um, over him. He was probably that was probably the one I was like mm, I don't know about that particularly considering how well Sabonis has been going this year and the fact that the Pacers are, you know, in a much better spot in terms of the Eastern Conference standings. That was probably the glaring one I thought was like, okay, I'm not a big fan of that one. But the rest of them I was very happy with. Zach Levine, like, good on him. A first all-star appearance. Same for Julius Randle and Jalen Brown. We'd love to see first-time appearances. And I'm glad that Ben Simmons got in there as well, um, obviously for that Australian representation um, because Ben's been killing it this year. Yeah, uh, I think they're all, you know, that's all really a really good set of points there. Um, I can tell you, as a Celtics fan, I'm much more scared when we play against Sabonis than I am against Vucevic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that probably says what, what needs to be said there is that Vucevic is, you know, he's probably going to give us 25 and 10 tonight, but we'll still win by 20. And that's not all his fault. Um, but that's just, you know, Sabonis is, a, I think, a severely underrated player. Um, as far as the rest of the All-Stars go, I actually uh, wrote a piece on the, uh, on the OTG network earlier in the year about first-time All-Stars and, um, and suggested that Jalen Brown and uh, Zach Levine might both make it. And uh, they both made me very proud. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, I think those were good selections. Uh, and like you said, you know, we're Australians and we can't help but shout out our boy Ben, who's, uh, who's really turned it around in the last month after copying a bit of flack to start He's getting angry. I love it. He's like, this is... That's it. We- he needs to get... Just oh, Sometimes I'm just like, Ben, just just say fuck him and just start driving and ruining people's lives at the rim because it's just what he needs to do. Uh, people get wrapped in this argument about him, like, you know, shooting jump shots and stuff like that. And I was like, nah, stuff that. Get to the damn rim. You, you're really good at doing that. And... Yeah, I, the, the mentality for him in that game against Utah that he had, I was like, whoa, where's this? And I mean, like, if that's what he's going to potentially bring to the Boomers, I mean, there's some gold in our future. Just, just, I'm just going to say oh. that right now to, it's going to piss off or probably all our uh, American listeners and, and everyone on the OTG staff are like, okay, okay, all right, they, these Aussies need to settle the hell down. But I don't know. We might talk about that on another podcast one day, but our Boomers squad is legit. So. I'm look. I'm looking forward to our gold medal podcast at some point, Nick. That's certainly coming down the pipeline. I believe it. You believe it. That's all that matters. Moving, uh, moving into these Pacific All Stars. Um, for your, uh, for your starters, who did you have uh, in these positions? Well, I think uh, the first backcourt spot is a no-brainer. Uh, Steph Curry has. We've we've talked about at length that he's had a fantastic year. He's putting up comparable numbers. Uh, to his MVP season, and he's he's answered a lot of doubters. Um, I think a lot a lot of people thought that you know they saw his first couple of games at the start of the year, and he's like, oh, okay, Steph's washed, or he can't carry a team. I'm just like, shut up. Um, he's he's given the finger to everybody and deserves to be in there 100. Um, and then partnering in the backcourt um, is someone who is now an injury replacement when he's playing. Um, I went with Devin Booker, um, you know, who's I, I probably could have gone for his Phoenix backcourt teammate. That was probably one of the, the toughest decisions that I had to make. But yeah, I, th- I think Booker's, um, I think I, m- I might have a bit of recency bias, particularly considering how good his last few weeks have been. Um, but He's been electric, and I 100% think he deserves that spot. And in the front court is, uh, it's all LA related. Um, you know, Kawhi and PG um, are, are definitely deserving of their spots again. Um, Paul George is, um, as we saw in that in that Brooklyn game, coming back. You know, just reminded everyone that you know he's he's having a pretty damn good year. Um, you know, all, all the questions around the Clippers are sort of to do with. The rest of their roster, there's not really any questions around those two guys, at least at the moment. Um, they deserve their spot. And because there wasn't really a center that I, I thought really deserved their spot in the starting five, LeBron's getting the spot. Um, I, I'm not sure if you, if you knew, uh, Lou, but um, he's in his 18th season and um, he's playing fantastically. Um, obviously, honestly, I'm not sure if, like, if he really doesn't really probably want to play the all-star game and particularly I think would want to rest 
but um, you know his play's still been exceptional. I don't think he's an M- I don't think he's the MVP of this season. I think that's a, a lot of narrative stuff that people are trying to drum up for MVPs that he's probably uh, not got. Um, but his play's too good to not have him um, as this small ball five in the Pacific Division All Star team. Yeah, and I certainly agree with everything you had to say there. Um, at the end of the day, it probably is recency bias, but to me, Booker's got to be the guy to get the nod. It just feels like he's been leading that team, um, for, particularly from a scoring perspective, even if Chris Paul is you know, the mentor and the spiritual leader. Um, I, I look at that as his team, um, and so I think he gets that extra nod. I mean, you summed it up perfectly. Steph Curry's having the fuck you, I can still be the best player on a playoff team season that we all wanted him to have last year. We missed out on that because, you know, fellow Aussie Aaron Baines decided to take, take a tumble on his hand, but he's come back and uh, and done everything, you know, I wanted him to do and prove everyone, you know, prove to everyone that, A, he's still got it and, you know, B, reminding those people that have short memories of the player he was before KD was in Golden State as far as being able to be the lead scorer uh, on a playoff team and perhaps next year a contending team. Um, obviously a notable, uh, well, me and you have the same starters, a notable absence from this team is, uh, is Anthony Davis. Um, is it, uh, is it all just, uh, the health and the fact that he won't be available for you or do you feel he's taken a backward step this year? Uh, little column A, little column B. Um, I, I thought as a positional guy, I, I, I think he would be the, I, I guess, quote unquote center, um, and he's the best option in this division for sure. Um, I, I, yeah. It was kind of the what the option I, what I was tossing up between really was, well, do I go Paul George as a reserve or do I go AD and in terms of positioning? But I thought I don't know. I think that PG's probably maybe had the better year. I know that's uh, something I might not have said particularly after you know playoff P uh, came to the party again last season. But you know at the moment, I, 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 do I think that Anthony Davis is a better player than Paul George? Yes. Do I think that Anthony Davis has had a better season than Paul George? No. So that that's sort of my logic with it. Um, but you know, Anthony Davis wasn't going to miss out on an All Star spot in this division. But I just, yeah, I just, I, I didn't think he was uh, quite worthy of a starting spot at the moment. Uh, isn't it? A, isn't it telling how strong this division this division is that in this specific team, uh, Anthony Davis is uh, is coming off the bench. Uh, and I, uh, I certainly agree with you. I think, um, I think he was a little bit in cruise control this year. I think Paul George has had a fantastic bounce back year um, and has earned, you know, the ability to uh, to start in this team alongside obviously um, Kawhi and LeBron, who are no brainers. And, and I do agree with you. I don't think LeBron is the MVP this year. I think he's worked really hard on the um, the media narrative. Uh, like you said, um, you know, this LeBron's in his, uh, his 18th year and that's painted on everyone's ceilings, walls and Twitter timeline. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, you know, he's still been fantastic and warrants the, uh, the starting spot in this, uh, in this team. Perhaps what might be more interesting is moving to the bench. Um, now, I have Devin Booker's uh, teammate, Chris Paul, as the first guy I've named on the bench. I think, as we discussed, he's been fantastic. Um, another guy, you know, his career that still looks, you know, right at his peak. Uh, he's even if he's not quite there athletically, the way he's just a perfect floor general, brings an offense together. Um, you know, Phoenix don't turn the ball over that much, and a lot of that can be attributed to him. Uh, I think he's just been fantastic, and has certainly brought a winning culture to the Suns. 
Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, um, uh, De'Aaron Fox as his backcourt reserve. I think Fox has been electric this year. Um, really held together uh, a, a Sacramento team that you know could have easily fallen apart had he not been there. Uh, he's been shooting the ball a little bit better. He's been aggressive. Uh, and I really think he's had a wonderful year. Uh, as far as uh, front court players, I have Anthony Davis, as we discussed. That's a no-brainer selection. Uh, injury or no injury, he's been uh, fantastic. And, you know, certainly uh, we can see now that he's out how important he is to the Lakers. Uh, one of the unsung heroes of this podcast that we've discussed uh, before, I had Harrison Barnes. Um, we shouted his praises a couple of times already today. And with good reason, uh, he's been really shooting the ball well this year as well. To go along with his playmaking, you know, you can post him up. Uh, he's a strong positional defender, probably one of the better defenders uh, in that starting lineup. And uh, I think, you know, he's just a winning player, mature veteran, uh, does a little bit of everything, which I like. Um, rounding out the, uh, the front court spots, I've got DeAndre Ayton. Um, I think he's been wonderful being the third fiddle there. Um, you know, he's accepted his his boss role on this team and he's done a pretty good job of it. Would I like to see him take it to the cup a bit more and stop taking face-up 18-footers when he does get touches on the block? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't deserve this spot. Uh, and he's certainly, you know, been a good positional and team defender. The other two wildcard spots, you'll probably be quite happy with this for me, have gone to Draymond and uh, Andrew Wiggins. Uh, you know, for different reasons, Draymond is still a winning player, much like Barnes. Uh, and he's actually started to come into his own. He's even started to put up a few box score numbers in the last, you know, couple of games, even if it's not in the points column. That'll please the casuals. He's so yeah, that's it. Um, he's uh, he's done so much for, for that team. And you can tell that Steph looks for him because he knows he's going to get the ball back. Uh, all the numbers show it. You know, I, I've seen that Steph, I think, shoots three or 4% better off passes from Draymond than he does off any other player on the team um, and he's just been wonderful and obviously a good a good uh, veteran there for Wiseman and Andrew Wiggins having a really good bounce back year shaking off that overpaid price tag um, he's probably now adequately paid been a fantastic defender looks really good in that system um, and there is a sneaky chance that they can make the playoffs and he can do a bit as a number two scorer that he comes full circle as far as rehabilitating his image so that's my bench did you have anyone different to that and what do you think of it I think you've you've hit the nail on the head, Lou. Um, the the guys that you've had in there, I think the backcourt definitely, in terms of reserves, picked itself. Um, we can't, we couldn't not go with CP three. He's, you know, seventeen points this year has been thereabouts with last year's scoring output, but he's back up to eight and a half assists per game to compared, compared to six point seven last season. And his shooting splits have been pretty nuts. You know, he's shooting just under fifty percent from the field. 39.8% from deep and you're shooting career high for Mark from the free throw line at 97.2. So while it was, you know, a fit that maybe took some time to get going, I think he's seamlessly fitted into what Phoenix are trying to do and have really given their fans optimism for what they can do in, uh, in a return to the postseason. And Darren Fox is, yeah, definitely someone who gets underrated. You know, it's a point guards, a position where we are blessed with a, insane amount of talent at the moment in the NBA, but particularly playing for a team that isn't doing so well and hasn't been doing so well for a while. Fox continues to take strides in his game, not only as a playmaker, but as a lead scorer. Um, you know, his scoring numbers continue to go up. Um, you know, he's getting a little bit more confident in his shot and 
the difference between him not being on the court, um, you know, and, and being there for Sacramento was massive. So I, I think, he, yeah, he definitely needed to be in there. And we talked about Davis and although he's, you know, hasn't had the best of seasons by his comparisons, uh, you know, compared to last year, I think particularly definitely deserves a spot. Um, and, and then the rest of the front court. Yeah. I, I really liked, um, you know, two more sons. Um, they, they've really got their fingerprints all over this, um, th- this team at the moment um, for how well they've played as a unit. Um, Mikhail Bridges, who I think has started to turn into one of the better three and D players in the league. Um, and, you know, that's not always a position uh, or a type of player who gets rewarded in these all-star games, but you know, the fans aren't picking them like uh, you and I are. And um, I think that he deserves to get in there. He's so important for what this uh, Suns team is doing on both ends of the floor. Not only is it starting to become a really reliable three-point shooter, um, can do a few more things on offense than I think people will give him credit for, but also as a lockdown defender, um, you know, jumping the passing lanes, shutting down guys. He's been excellent. And then also um, another young uh now the young player out of Phoenix is someone that is probably not getting the the limelight that um that he, you know, particularly a, a player of his uh you know uh, draft standing got um so going so high in the lotteries DeAndre Ayton who has taken a much more backseat role particularly on the offensive end of the floor um for Phoenix this season um but he's become much more efficient as a uh, as a player um as a result of it um you know he's. He's not scoring as much as last year. His points per game average is down by uh, almost five points per game, but his shooting has been really, really solid. Um, he's only shooting, he's only having ten field goal attempts per game, but you know he's having a um, you know he's shooting from the field is fifty nine point three percent at the moment, which is fantastic. He's still rebounding like a beast, eleven point nine rebounds per game this year, averaging a block per game, and for a team that's getting lauded for how well they're shooting the ball and how well, you know, sort of the offensive side of the game's going, guys like Bridges and guys like Aiton have been really important um, for this Phoenix team. And I'm really excited to see Aiton continue to blossom, which is why I had to slot him in here. Um, and then for my wildcard ones, um, we definitely agreed um, the, the change that um, obviously I made. I didn't go with Draymond in uh, this all-star reserves team, which pains me, but I, I, I did go with Wiggins. Um, I think that his two-way performances this year have certainly shocked a lot of people. Um, it's something that I, I talked about in a, a piece on, I guess, the, the things that have surprised me the most so far in the NBA this season. And yeah, he, he certainly surprised a lot of people with the level of defensive ability that he's brought to the table. I mean, we all know that he's been a super athlete right out of high school, but the fact that he's been able to translate those athletic gifts into, um, you know, substantial defensive, you know, statistical gains. And, you know, he's someone who's averaged the the best block, blocks per game average in the, in the top 20, sorry, 25 players in the NBA who aren't, he's, he's, he's a top rated player who isn't a, a power forward or a center. So he's someone who's really transformed his game on that end of the floor and he's really settled into a secondary scoring role next to Steph Curry, or also taking charge when Curry's off the floor. So although his shooting percentages over the last couple of games have been a little bit down um, for the year, he's shooting the ball at a really high clip. He's taking smarter shots. He's having a much more refined role. And I think it's really pleasing to see him turn from potentially a, you know, a, a trade bait kind of guy 
bouncing around as a as a a chip for the Golden State front office, but he's really turned into a you know a foundational player of this team. And then my last wild card position is someone who you mentioned and someone who doesn't nearly get enough love um, as he should is a is a former small forward of the Warriors is Harrison Barnes. And as you said, shooting the ball incredibly well. He's rock solid on the offensive end. He's rock solid on the defensive end as well, particularly in the Sacramento team. And yeah, he's, he's a player I think does, who would get a lot more love if he was playing on another team, which he might um, by the end of the season. We don't know. Um, but um, I really like Barnes's offensive game, um, you know, where he can shoot. From, he, he can shoot from deep. He can take it inside. The pull-up game's solid. He can get in the post. He can do a lot of things for you on that end. I think he'd have a good time in this All-Star game too. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it would be coming full circle for him considering some people thought he was probably kind of on the way down uh, a couple of years ago. He certainly turned that around. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm glad we see fairly much eye to eye on those uh, on those teams. And I'd let that all-star team take uh, pretty much any all-star team for a run. And I think it'd, be, uh, it'd certainly be a good game. I think that's, uh, that's all we've got for today, Nick. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm um, certainly looking forward to doing this again. Uh, with you. Uh, you can find us uh, on Twitter as well, uh, both individually. What's your handle on Twitter? Um, you can Nick? find me at, at Nick J. Boylan. Yep, and I'm uh, at Dade underscore Lewis, as well as we're about to launch a uh, Pacific Post-Ups Twitter channel as well, if you'd like to follow us on there and, uh, and keep updated on everything we do. Um, so until next time, uh, we'll see you later, and uh, stay warm.